I've watched that final possession, um, the, the offensive possession, like a dozen times. You were expecting Marcus Smart to to one hundred percent expecting Marcus Smart. Look, I've covered Marcus Smart in Boston for what nine years now. He's been in the league. Mm. Like every other year, he pulls that shot. Hello, welcome back. Great show. Uh, today, the NBA playoffs are in full swing, and we've got some wonderful uh, talk lined up for you. Gosh, it is my absolute pleasure to have uh, the co-host of Airbuds and Sorry We Love the NFL and my uh, good friend, one of the funniest human beings ever to do it, ever to step in front of a mic. It's Jamel Johnson. Uh, Jamel, how are you? For a second, I thought you were going to say, like, Dougie Doug or... Uh... <laughs> Something. I was like, oh, it is me. I'm good, bro. Uh, happy to see you. Uh, apologies for having to watch a Nicholas playoffs again. Oh, apologies for having to watch a Wizardless uh, playoffs once again, but we'll get Thank into you, that. Sir. We're also it's like church Andy, greetings. It, it really is. Uh, we also talked to Andy Larson of the Salt Lake uh, Tribune about the Jazz and the Mavs. We'll get to uh, uh, the Nets Celtics series with Chris Mannix of uh, Sports Illustrated. But first, let's just talk about what we've been seeing so far with producers Ryan and Zuri, super producers Ryan and Zuri. Let's start with, man, the series that I think they should make the entire playoffs out of, T-Wolves, Grizzlies. This is the series, folks, that made me tweet, I don't want to see old players anymore. I really, I believe this. I think the NBA should cap old players per team at two. You can't have more than two 30-year-old players on a team and I'm basing that on how fun T-Wolves Grizzlies are. Uh, fellas, what are we thinking about this series? Joel, let's start with you. Uh, first off, I agree. As a fan of the big three, I 100% agree. Let's get some <laughs> youth in the building. Uh, but also, I mean, you know what? Honestly, I, I'm happy to see Anthony Edwards shining. Yeah. This is This is number one pick behavior. And everybody was worried. And he's actually incredible. Uh, I love my shots is yet another iconic, <laughs> iconic statement from Anthony Edwards, who said after the game, quote, I love my shots, whatever shot I take, whether it's a step back tray ball or a step back mid range or a floater or a layup, whatever my shot is, I like it. He Sometimes also him coach may not like it. Shouts to shouts to the guy. Chris Finch, but I love my shot. My my uh, favorite thing he does is when he thinks he's going to make a shot and he pimps it, but it's like two feet past the rim. It's the confidence. The confidence is great. And I do wonder if we do ban old players, like where do they go if, if you're over 30? And then they go to the big three. Big this is, three. They go to the big three. You it see? would actually be good for like all three levels of, of basketball because more college players would make the association because right. of age limitations. And then the big three would get an influx of veteran presence that we all still want to see. It would be cool. It's trickle down basketball anomics. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it. Here's the thing about that Anthony Edwards thing you were talking about, Zuri. Yes, he does some goofy stuff sometimes that will drive you crazy. I was thinking, man, if Tom Thibodeau was watching that, if he was the coach of that team, he'd go walk into the ocean after <laughs> some of those shots. And and all season. Carl Anthony Towns has had a penchant with, I think he's too influenced by Jokic. He'll do these very, very lazy, like hook passes over the head where he's like kind of not looking and it's real slow and it's easy to pick off. Happened a bunch of times in the game. But when you have players that young and talented and exciting, I don't care. I would rather watch that than Taj Gibson making the right play a million <laughs> times and he can't jump over a business card. Like, I want to watch young players who are exciting. I don't care if they make a lot of mistakes. I love this series. Uh, there's just so much excitement. Dylan Brooks, Ja, like uh, the young players are just showing out. It's really, really fun. Jaron Jackson was the weak link for the Grizz. Hopefully he doesn't have a little clunker uh, in the game two. The seven blocks, though. I mean, yeah, well. like he's legitimately, if he cannot foul, he was negative 16 in the game. That's okay. If he cannot foul, I mean, like Rudy Gobert defense ability with scoring. Like he's he can be fun. Just need you to cash those those open threes because Jaws drawing too. Because Pat yes. Beverly can't guard him. No one in the building can guard Jaws. So 
he will be getting open shots the whole series. You know, we tried to throw a little, we tried to throw a little shade on the Timberwolves party for making the playoffs at all, saying like, oh, this is going to be their final. You know, they came out and they got that game one win. Now they only need three more in six. Three of them are going to be at home. You know, it's interesting. So I think that we wrote them off a little bit too quickly. And I'm, I'm happy to see Pat Bev and company out here, you know, representing themselves well against this two seed. I just want this to go seven. Well, do you guys have, do you guys have a pick for this series? Do you think Minnesota takes it or, or do you even care? I think it's, you know, it's almost impossible to not overreact to a game one when you watch it, you know, and, and allow that to color how you feel about the series. Do they get 23 from Malik Beasley again? You know what I mean? Like, I'm hoping this goes seven and I think it's a Grizzlies win. Ultimately, I think that they're just too good and too deep. They are a little bit more forged in fire. I understand that they're both kind of like inexperienced teams with regards to the playoffs, but the Grizzlies did it for an extended part of the series without jaw and show that they have an ability to go deep and to win games with, with Bain and with uh, Melton and with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. with Dylan Brooks. Like they have guys that understand their role and know how to play and I feel like the Timberwolves have a little bit further to go in terms of figuring it out. So I, I still pick the Grizzlies, but I, I'm hoping it's going to be a long series. If you, you have two young teams when you go six, seven games in a series and you know, there's no real loser. Obviously, someone has to be eliminated for the sake of the playoffs, but the reps are just so good for like every single young player on both rosters. I think it goes six, seven games, and I do think that the Grizz went out, but like Going into this series, going into this season, I, I would look at the Timberwolves uh, roster and say, soft talent, like D'Lo, Cat, you know? So it's, it's a situation where Anthony Edwards even, you know, he's figuring it out this season. He's kind of ascending before our eyes. So I think that this is going to be a good experience for them no matter what. And, you know, you steal a road game in game one and just like you start playing the, playing the numbers. If they play well at home, it can get to seven, and in a game seven, anything can happen. Anthony Edwards had two blocks in this game. I mean, <laughs> you know, like they they were playing. I agree. I think I think Memphis in seven. I think D'Angelo wakes up at home, ten points on two for eleven shooting game one. I think he turns that around. But then probably, I mean, this is not a real prediction, but I think Towns lays another egg at some point in the series, and that's probably what. It was, I mean, uh, why they lose? Yeah. I, I could I could see that. I just think offensively, if he can limit his turnovers, Minnesota plays really intelligently. It's like when he had a small on him, he's going down low. And when he had space, he's he's shooting from outside. That's a dangerous player. I, I'm really excited. I, I just love this series. No more old players. No more old players. I don't want to see it anymore. I'm so tired of it. Okay, next series. Um, folks, it was Schadenfreude HQ at my apartment. As I was watching the Miami Heat absolutely put Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks in a fucking dungeon <laughs> and then drop the dungeon like into a hellhole. Folks, it was despicable behavior from the Heat who uh, limited Trey Young to like one for 700 <laughs> shots and uh, to multiple complaints and multiple borderline slash dirty hits after the whistle under the brim. Kyle Lowry shoving his hands all up in uh, a Trey Young's face, diving in his knees at the buzzer like at halftime. It was ugly, and the Miami Heat absolutely rampaged to a 115-91 uh, victory. Uh, thoughts? Thoughts all around, Jamel? Um, the Heat seemed excited to hit somebody not on their own roster. <laughs> They've been going at it for weeks now, and they're just so excited that there's somebody else in similar color jerseys, which I think helps. <laughs> yes. Now they have extra extra incentive to be mad about something. Exactly. And, I mean, they look good, man. If Duncan Robinson's going to be doing that, I mean, what, what, what can him? you do? I mean, yeah, who's going to? No one's going to stop. Him. I mean, ultimately, it's like, is he going to miss? Because the way they're executing is just kind of insane. I just think we shouldn't write off Trey Young. He was so great in the two playing games leading into this. And I think that they're just dealt with a little, you know, lethargy heading into this game. And I think, like, for my money, I think Trey's, like, pound for pound the best with the basketball in the league. I think he makes the smartest decisions given his size. And um, I just wouldn't write him off. I, I, I do think, though, Miami in, like, five or six. But 
Uh, <laughs> 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 wait, wait, hold on a second. Uh, I'm not writing them off. You wrote them off. I'm not writing them off. You wrote them off. As he's actively writing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're writing. He's writing it in you cursive. Didn't just, I'm not you didn't just it. write them off. You initialed at the top of the page and at the bottom of the page. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I didn't sign my name, but uh, my initials are on it. I just, I just think, it's, you know, we're going to see Big Instrument, and he'll steal a winner too, but... Probably Miami. Oh, Ryan? I think that a gentleman's sweep is probably the best that Atlanta can hope for. If it gets to game six, I'd be shocked. I just think that Trey Young, the offense obviously runs through Trey Young, and it's never going to be able to keep up with Miami without Trey Young doing well. And the defensive rotations that he's going to see in this series are just nightmarish for him. If it's not Lowry, it's going to be Tucker. If it's not Tucker, it's going to be Butler. All of them look like seventh graders playing basketball with a fourth grader (laughs) and one-on-one. And frankly, I just want to put it out there. I think Knicks Nation is like heavy on the South Beach flow right now. Where I mean, I'll, 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 loving this I'll admit it. It is cathartic I'm not proud of it. to see him. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. I, I'm not proud of it, but I am right there. I'm enjoying this to the hilt. Uh, I, I absolutely love it. I love watching him struggle. It's fun. Um, it was fun watching him do in the Cavs, honestly, like in the in the final play in game. It was fun watching him do that to another player. But I think you're right in in that those rotations, watching him against the Cavs, every time he get in that pick and roll and finds space, he's stabbing the Cavs to death, ice picking them to death with that floater, 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 floater. Because if you switch on Trey, if you, there's any gap in your rotation, you're dead. The Heat are not showing you a gap. And there's no soft guy on the, there's really no minus defender anywhere in the rotation that Trey is going to see first three rotations, four rotations. It's like, to your point, it's like Lowry, PJ Butler and bam, he's seeing size. He's seeing physicality. He's seeing guys that are just in his Jersey all the time. You watch him, and he's seeing two guys every single time. They're like, listen, give up the ball. And when he gives it up, he's not getting it back. And so Bogey Bogdanovich is going to have to do some stuff. And uh, Trey is has been resistant his whole career to playing off the ball. It's obviously too late to be like, hey, let's run some off the ball shit now with Trey. With with uh, you know that's off season work. But I think <laughs> I, I I am not writing them off either. But I would not be surprised at a sweep here. <laughs> I would not be surprised to see it. I just think that the Heat. They know how they want to take Trey out of the game. If you take Trey out of the game, there's there's no other way for the Hawks to get into their offense. Moving on, Raptors Sixers. I was looking at this and I was thinking, man, Game Seven, Doc Rivers, the Raptors. <laughs> Why uh, is that funny? Why is I, that funny? I, I just <laughs> I was expecting. I was just getting ready, and I was looking at some of the underlying, fa- you know, like the underlying factors that the Nick Nurse uh, coached. Raptor team, they have all these different looks they can throw at Embiid and all all these different looks they can throw at Harden. And ultimately, I just, it was easy to criticize the Sixers coming down the stretch of the season with Harden throwing up, you know, three for 14s and four for 20s, et cetera. And it was fun and it was cute to laugh at them. But ultimately, the Sixers have the two best players in the series and if Scotty Barnes is out, it's kind of a wrap. The, the Raptors can't score in the half court like at all. Like their offense is terrible. And I just feel like here's another one where Philly and five, Philly and six, if if something happens up in Toronto. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think this is in any doubt that Sixers just feel like they're much better than the Raptors. Uh, Jamel? Yeah, I'm going to say Sixers and Six just because the Sixers can't win anything regular looking. Right, that's like, the other. It's going to look <laughs> du- They're going to look dumb as shit in Toronto at some point. Missing five ball, somebody's yeah. going to do something stupid. But I do think that James Harden saved Tobias Harris's career. Something about the two of them together <laughs> is working for Tobias, and Philly needed it. All the trips to the strip club are paying off. <laughs> Ryan? Zuri? So... I think for this series, I think for the for the 76ers in general, it's like we were looking at James Harden on the Nets and the dynamic just wasn't there. It wasn't right. There was always a problem. There was always beef, whether it was mad at Kyrie's situation or not. There was always beef going into James Harden's mouth and he was eating it and he was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. 
You know, but it, it, what he wasn't the player that the Nets needed to be the best version of themselves. And, you know, I don't think that Ben Simmons is either, but I do think that in Philly, James Harden is able to be like, he, he fits the mold here so much better because it's not even, we talked about it yesterday. It's not about the scoring prowess. It's about his vision. Like he can go out there and rack up yeah. the assists and he can not shoot. That half court bouncer to, to Maxi was just electric. And that's exactly the thing that they need. They don't even need James Harden to go out there and, and shoot at a high percentage. We all know about James Harden's struggles in the playoffs when he gets noticeably tight and the, and the calls aren't coming at the same clip as they were in the regular season. But like if he just moves the ball the way he did, that's a lot. Sir, your thoughts? No, I just, I don't want to skip ahead, but I think we're destined for a Bucks um, Sixers Eastern Conference Finals. And, and, Interesting. and these are probably trap series for the Sixers on their way to getting there. And I don't know that Toronto prepares them in the way that they need to face the Bucks eventually in the, in the conference finals, but we'll see. I just think, you know, I wanted the Knicks to make an offer on Fred Van Vliet, even though there was no shot a couple, couple of seasons back in free agency. Here's the issue with Fred Van Vliet. I just think Trey Young is able to do what he can do at his size because he has unbelievable ball handling and and infinite range. Van Vliet's a good shooter, but he doesn't have the arsenal of... If you don't have that arsenal of, of moves, you're going to struggle. And Van Vliet has to work so hard to get off and to get his team into any kind of like scoring rhythm. And man, I just think it's going to be real tough for the Raptors, depending on what happens with Barnes. But man... The Sixers look good, and shouts to all my Sixers fans who are absolutely losing their shit about Tyrese Maxey. He looked great. Nuggets-Warriors, uh-oh. Um, if the Warriors could play like this without Curry playing well, uh, Jordan Poole coming out, pool party, Jokic had 25-10, and 10, but he had to work so hard for every single thing that he got. He looked gassed out at times to the point where Doris Burke was like, Jokic looks gassed out. <laughs> um, and it's going to be a long series without the creativity of Michael Porter Jr. It's just like everything has to go through Jokic. And we're seeing in this playoffs, if you have one creator, Hawks, Nuggets, etc., you're going to be in trouble because the other team is going to take away that option. And... It was looking real rough, looking real rough for the Nuggets. Uh, thoughts, Jamel? Yeah, I mean, it sucks that the Warriors are good. <laughs> it really does. I didn't. I, I didn't. It, yeah. I, yeah, I thought we were over this. I didn't think this was going to keep happening. But terrible matchup for the Nuggets. I mean, yeah. You know, Draymond. Jokic might be the only player he can guard now. Just in the <laughs> league entirely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're putting him through hell. They're putting him through hell. He still put up his numbers, but it's it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Will Barton took eighteen shots in game one. I don't know if that's tenable for a series. Somebody's got yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a, you know somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to score other than Jokic, either scoring or setting up people to score. Like somebody's got to create. Who's not Nikola Jokic? Also, what did Drake know before he put that two hundred thousand dollars bet on the Warriors to win the finals? Did he know that um, Jordan Poole? Is gonna be this Jordan Poole. He knew that he knew that he was rich. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he knew his light work. He yeah. went into it rich. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go to Bucks Bulls. So I think everybody expected I certainly was thinking uh Bucks in five ish. Nothing I saw really changed that. The Bulls uh made a run here in the series with uh Vooch who Got hot at the right time. Pay no attention to his actual box score, but he got hot at the right time. Keyed a little run. Caruso was devastating at times. Uh, but the Bucks weren't just playing the Bulls. They were playing their history of coming up uh, disappointing in game ones and ultimately won the game 91-86. Uh, Giannis is just incredible, just like unbelievable. And I think the you know, I think the Bucks are probably going to win in five. Un unfortunately, it's been a fun series for the Bulls. DeRozan struggled, which is either uh, par for the course for him or something he will bounce back from. I guess I shouldn't doubt him because I doubted him when they signed him and then he had a great season. But I guess I kind of doubt him in the playoffs, especially against a Bucks team that just kind of like knows 
what they're doing. Uh, your thoughts, Jamel? I mean, yeah, it's the Bucks, dude. This is the new America. Uh, Chris Middleton for president. <laughs> are we this is just the rest him? of our lives. I don't think about, so. Are we they, worried this about is, Chris Middleton? Like he had a kind of down season and is now having a down first game of the playoffs, uh, albeit after a long layoff. Are we worried that he is officially washed yeah. at this point? Never worried. I would never. I've, I am. If I could go to Vegas and put $10 million <laughs> on just Chris Middleton, I would. <laughs> on your Drake? Yeah. yeah. On your just Drake? <laughs> tag that on to Drake's bet. And you know what, for me, it's like the Bulls had a good season. It was fun. It was a surprise. But when you look at their the fact that they're the fourth best record in NBA history with a negative uh, differential, when you look at their record against yeah. teams above 500, the writing was always kind of on the wall for them. Then the injuries start stacking up and throwing them off of the way they want to play. And the Bucks are the defending champions. Like we're all expecting Giannis to have a shot at defending this title. And that requires, you know, a victory in the first round. So Negative differential. Negative <laughs> differential was a, was a bad Amazing. indicator. Yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I, did, I did like that Brandon Jennings basically tweeted that Tristan Thompson is the reason why the bowl season was torpedoed. I feel like he was speaking for a lot of people. Also, this reminds me of like a regional <laughs> high school basketball tournament with Milwaukee and Chicago. It's kind of on the level of Knicks Nets, Lakers Clippers. I would love for this to be more of a rivalry, honestly. Like that would be really cool. Oh, when Caruso gets elbowed in the in the, the center of his head, it will be. <laughs> was it Doris Burke on the call for Bucks Bulls again? I, I think it was, right? I, I think at one point she said of Tristan Thompson, uh, Tristan Thompson getting in there, which is his job, and it, his job really is getting in there, as we all know, on and off the court. <laughs> that guy is getting in there. Shout out Christian Mingle. <laughs> he really is. He really is getting in there. Uh, but I think I think it's going to be a. Uh, an easy Bucks win, unfortunately. Suns Pelicans. Speaking of of easy wins, great season for the Pelicans, showing the scrappiness, showing that they have some depth uh, and some exciting young players coming in. Herb Jones setting the NBA nerddom alight with his uh, uh, play on both ends of the floor. It's so exciting, and you think, man, if they had Zion to this, isn't that great? At the same time, man, they're not ready. And the Suns are the best team in basketball, arguably. And this is going to be a sweep. Uh, this is going to be a sweep, folks. Uh, your thoughts, Jamel? Suns, period. <laughs> I mean, Chris Paul. When I, I loved the Pelicans, like, you know when the when a body twitches a little bit, when someone gets knocked out or, or <laughs> and, the, and the leg twitches? The leg twitched, and Chris Paul was like, okay, we're going to make sure they're done. We're going to make you sure the they're extra <laughs> Yeah. Make sure they're finished. And he just put the finishing move on them oh, boy. and went absolute 19 of his 30 in the fourth quarter and seemed like he assisted on everything as well. Like just went crazy. Zuri, Ryan. For me, it's very simple. These playoffs are his, this is his battleground. This is his ring. Mm -hmm. I feel like if it doesn't happen this season. I'm not going to last year when they lost, I said, it'll be this year. If they lose this year, I'm not putting that same level of confidence into next year. I think it has to happen right now. Everybody on the Suns knows it. Surely Chris Paul knows it. And until somebody gives them some legitimate opposition, well, they're far and away from Paul, the, the league. Like, until Chris Paul turns an ankle like he always does. Or like, yeah, that's how you. It's a podcast. He had yeah. to say it. Hey, there's evidence. There's evidence. Also, Herb Jones, way ahead of his time, late in the game, he like clotheslined DeAndre Aiden. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, okay, so yeah. So um so you know, uh play was was switching over, right? DeAndre Ayton was was running up the court and kind of not looking what was happening. And then Herb Jones, the way I looked at it was Herb Jones was coming in and just trying to, you know, get a check on his man, like keep DeAndre Ayton from easily running up the floor. Now, usually you'd see something like that, like on a on pick and roll defense when you tag a guy, but I think he was just doing like a tag. And it just so happened that Aiton, one, wasn't looking, and then Jones, overexcited, like, came wow. in a little high and, and rug Aiton's bell. I was a little surprised that they didn't. Mm -hmm. No flagrant on that. Flagrant yeah. did, but, I, but it, it was more reckless than it was, like, dirty. 
but it was certainly intentional. And I hope Aiton's okay. They, like they kept saying, "Oh, uh, the Suns ran through their uh, concussion protocol or whatever it is to make sure that Aiton." You know, <laughs> like ten Aiton seconds. Like, you yeah, good? They were just like, "You good?" No TV and he was like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm good." Yeah. <laughs> it's just still looking terrible in the or, yeah. I mean, if if it was unintentional or if it was intentional, it was the most beautiful sell. The most believable sell of like I didn't mean to do this because right after he reaches back, and and it seems like there was no <laughs> ill will, but maybe he's a great actor. I, I respect it. I don't yeah, know. that's how I <laughs> pretend to hold open elevators. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it reminded me a little bit of like Kyle Lowry diving at Trey's ankle at the end of the first half, and then extending his hand and touching his ankle as if to heal it through the power of, you know, the tears of Jesus and be like, Hey, I'm so, uh, Hey, are you good? Like I'm, I, you know, I didn't want to do that. You wanted to do that a little bit. You kind of a little bit wanted to do that. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts? Yeah. This is going to be a sweep or like if somehow some way the sun's like let up, then Maybe the Pelicans get excited. They get a game. They showed a little bit of life again in that third quarter, but the Suns are too good. Boston and Brooklyn, it is one of the marquee matchups of this playoff. And to help us, Unpack what we saw in a electric game one that saw the Celtics squeeze out a victory at the buzzer 115-114 over the Brooklyn Nets is Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated. What an absolute cracker of a game one. Uh, is that what you were expecting? Uh, and uh, any takeaways from from what was one of the games of the weekend? No, not at all what I expected. Uh, especially, I mean... Kyrie's always an adventure in yeah. Boston. Like he's created this narrative that I don't know, like he he just is nuts. And you know, how he seems to let the Boston fans kind of creep into his head and push him in a direction where he has to respond almost every single time is wild. And what's also wild is that it seems to to motivate him. Like, you know, every time the Boston fans climb on him, he just seems to get hot and make shot after shot and watching him last night just go off. You think for three quarters and 10 minutes that this is how it's going to end. It's going to be, you know, the Kyrie revenge game 6.0 if you go back to to last year's playoffs. And so, that I mean, that was the first, you know, thing that just stuck with me, how he continues to let the Boston fans seemingly get to him. The second part was I, I've watched that final possession the, the offensive possession, like a dozen times. You were and expecting Marcus Smart to to, to one hundred percent expecting Marcus Smart. To shoot that. <laughs> I've look, I've covered Marcus Smart in Boston for what nine years now. He's been in the league. Like every other year, he pulls that shot. He was four for nine from three point range. I mean, in that uh, moment, say like, prayers, folks. That may never happen again. And what a <laughs> that was going up. Yeah, that was going up. So for him, not only to not take the shot. But have the presence of mind to find Tatum in that spot. I mean, unbelievable. That that I, I, that was the true embodiment of the the evolution of Marcus Smart. Did seem like some real growth. I never thought I'd see the day myself, bro. I mean, it, there were some possessions in that fourth quarter coming down the stretch where, you know, Marcus did call his own number a couple of times uh, and did not come up. With Paul scores waiting. in yeah, that yeah. moment, and you and and you're thinking, oh god, like here we go again. It and <laughs> I was 100 percent expecting himself to call his own number in that moment, and he did not. Great pass, incredible moment. Jason Tatum, uh, for me, like obviously, uh, incredible game, uh, 31 points. But to me, it's the eight assists when he this season when he has five or more assists, I, the Celtics are like 26 and 10. So. You know, a lot of the improvement for the Celtics this season came in figuring out how to move the ball better, Chris. Uh, what did what what was it that they did that allowed them to unlock, you know, the, this kind of like offensive and defensive explosion over the course of the series for the Celtics? What did, uh, what did, what did Udoka do? I, I think he just, like one of the reasons Ime Udoka was second on my coach of the year ballot just behind... Uh, Monty Williams and ahead 
of Taylor Jenkins, who was fantastic all year long, was I give Ime credit for coaching through the struggles. Like, this was a Celtic team that had so many bad habits, that didn't know how to do certain things, from kind of defensive philosophies with the way they switch now, which is what they didn't do under Brad Stevens, to pushing Tatum and Brown to become more of facilitators. That's not something that had to do in recent years. In recent years, they've had traditional point guards, whether it was you know Isaiah Thomas briefly um, early on, or Kemba Walker or Kyrie Irving. They have been able to defer to the primary playmaker more times than not. So all season long, Ime was pushing them. You got to pass more. You got to be a facilitator. You got to move the ball. And it really wasn't until early to mid-January that they started doing that that they started, you know, kind of looking to be more passers than scores. And and that game one was proof positive. I mean, Tatum, you know, a lot of the times when he made the right pass, previous years he would have forced up a shot or mm-hmm. taken a three-point shot, mm-hmm. taken one of those terrible Kobe shots that he's become obsessed with over time, the kind of mid-range jumper, fade away along the baseline, yeah. whatever. He's just different. He's different now. And that's something that he was, he and Jalen Brown have been pushed and pushed and pushed on since the start of the season. And it really took until the midway point for them to actually start to get it. Just one more thought on Marcus Smart real quick, only because Smart, like, I mean, I, 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 do, some, I do some work over at NBC at, yeah. for a pre- and post-game show there. And from day one, I was jumping up and down on Marcus Smart. I, I didn't believe he could do this. I didn't yeah. believe he could evolve into the player he's become. And he saw everything. Like, he sees everything. And he's used that all season long, the people that don't believe he can be a primary playmaker. So, like, Marcus, to his credit has like absorbed all the hate, like taken it all inside him and pushed it out in the right direction. That's a an incredible credit to him. I also kind of forgot about Jalen Brown's defense, you know, because everything, when you think about the Celtics, you're like, all right, who's going to be the man? Is it Brown or is it Tatum? But like what Tatum does on offense, Jalen Brown does on defense. And I think we saw a lot of that. But I think the real reason the Celtics are on is because Nia Long is hanging around the facility. <laughs> Everyone on the roster has a crush on this woman. You want to play your best when she comes. She's not coming all the time. So you better act right when she shows up. Uh, Speaking of uh, uh, surprises showing up, Al Horford, 20 points, 15 rebounds. Uh, A lot of the talk about the Celtics, once Robert Williams went out, the Time Lord was, okay, like, uh, to your point, Doka, has implemented more switching. So how do we, how do they piecemeal this together? And of course, you know, if you had to lose one of your important players, I guess Williams would be the guy that you think, okay, we can, the Celtics can survive this, but they got some great play out of Al Horford. Uh, Your thoughts about, about what Horford did in game one. And is it sustainable? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sustainable. Um, You know, I was worried early on, for Boston in that game because what 18 fouls called in the yeah. first quarter. I mean, yes. they had, their, their depth is, is not great in the front court without Rob Williams, really just Grant Williams. And uh, you know, you go deeper into that bench, you start looking at guys that you don't want to uh, start playing. But uh, Al to me was one of the most underrated pickups of the off season. I mean, if you I mean, not many people watched him play in Oklahoma city last year. Mm-hmm. But he really rehabilitated himself with the Thunder. Like, he washed off the stench of that one season in Philadelphia. And even though he only played half the year, he proved that he still had something left. And we've seen that all season long. One of the reasons that they they can survive without Rob Williams, at least in the short term, is that even though you miss some weak side shot blocking with Rob Williams, you don't have to fundamentally change what you do with Al Horford and Grant Williams and Daniel Tice uh, in that lineup. So with Al Horford at five, you can still switch everything in the same way you did um, with Rob Williams. Imagine if, like, Al wasn't there. Like, yeah. in a different reality. Like, let's say Ennis Freedom was still there. <laughs> like, could you imagine trying to play that defense with Ennis out there on the floor? You couldn't do it because you can't switch him onto everybody <laughs> the same way. <laughs> you cannot do it. Could not do it. You can't even Nintendo switch him. You can't do you anything. No. Not- Absolutely would not be possible. No, and that's that to me is why, like, that not just Al, but like Al, Grant, and Tice, who's another, like, yeah, Brad Stevens really should win executive of the year. I don't even know who's 
the I number two this. choice. Not a media this vote, it. obviously, but I mean, he did things, guys, that like Danny Ainge would never have done the things that Brad Stevens did. Never in a million years. He would never have forked over an unprotected first round pick to get Al Horford and get Kemba Walker off the books. Never, ever, ever would have done that. I highly doubt he would have given up the kind of draft capital you need to get Derek White, who's also been huge uh, for this team this year. I mean, Brad, in getting Al Horford, in acquiring Daniel Tice, who, by the way, he got killed for at the deadline. Like, he, remember, he it's like, you only got Tice for Schroeder. Tice got a crappy contract. You couldn't get a first for Dennis Schroeder. Like, that was available. Um, they, <laughs> he only gets Daniel Tice for it. Like, those two guys, Horford and Tice, are the reason this team is here right now in the kind of position that they're in. I guess we we simply must talk about the the vibe in the arena, uh, the double bird flip off behind the head move from Kyrie. Does he think and- he's not gonna? They're not gonna see that. Like, does he think he's gonna get away with? <laughs> I that? think like, he's I'm decided. Kidding. He's walking away from this playoffs with zero dollars that That's he just I, decided. I, That's my take on. Here's the thing. Now, people, there was some outrage. There was like a tweet. I think it was Barstool. It was like, "There's kids in the arena." I'll tell you right now. If I'm if as a child I was at Madison Square Garden and Reggie Miller flipped me off in a playoff game that the Knicks won, that would be one of the greatest memories of my life for absolutely <laughs> ever. Forever, that would be an absolutely thrilling thing to reflect upon. I mean, he's going to get fined, right? Which, of course, the NBA has to do that. At the same time, it's kind of like... It's a little bit of spice for the pot, right? This is, it's the playoffs. We enjoy this, isn't it? It's its a nice thing to enjoy, isn't it? What was what was your view of, of that situation? I thought it was a riot because, yeah. again, like I said at the top, like Kyrie just allows, like he allows Boston fans to get into his head in ways that he's never allowed Cleveland fans to do. Like Cleveland fans have just as right, as much right, if not more, to be pissed off at Kyrie. Mm-hmm. He walked away from a true championship contender. He walked away from a team he won a title with. Um, but he he's never let the Cleveland fan base bother him in the way that he lets the Celtic fan base. I mean, you know, like, even the times when he's not, and I'm watching him most of the game, partly because he's going off the entire time, but even the times when he's not flipping off the crowd, he's reacting to them. Like, he's communicating with people sitting in the baseline. He's kind of shrugging his shoulders, moving his hands as he's hearing things uh, people are saying to him. So he's he's not blocking them out uh, one bit. Now, I'm curious to see what the fine is for this. I mean, there were people around the Celtics that were like pushing for a suspension. I mean, that's like, crazy. They, that's true. You know, I agree. I agree. I mean, you, might as well, but, like, you might as well try it, right? You might as well throw that yeah, out there. Exactly. But, like, exactly. That's but it's like, happen. well, the, the way it was, I was I was sitting in the press room and I, I heard from a couple of people on uh, on Sunday night where they're like, oh, you know, he did this once here, then he did it there, then he's walking the tunnel and he's cursing out whoever as he's going that way. So it's like, uh, you know, when, you know, when's enough enough? When do you have to you know, do that? So I guess you could push for it. It's not going to get suspended, but he'll get the heftiest fine you could possibly get for that. And I don't think he cares. I think he's going to keep responding in that exact same way. So a, a one point win at the buzzer, but some indicators for the Nets uh, that I think you could spin as positive. Katie had a, a bad game. And as we've seen all season, uh, and particularly in the run-up to the playoffs, if the Nets are going to need both of their guys, Katie and Kyrie, to really go off for them to have a, have a chance to win. It took it took both of them going crazy to beat the Cavs, et cetera. Uh, and they didn't, you know, you're expecting Patty Mills and Seth Curry to space the floor a little bit more and allow Kevin Durant some some more space to operate. Not that he, he, he shoots over everybody, but still make his life a little easier. And, you know, one shot uh, for Patty Mills. Seth Curry was one for four from three. So th- there is a place where uh, you expect a little bit of improvement what do you think about this series? Seven game series? Feels that way. Right. Um, you know, I, I think the Celtics will live with, you know, Durant playing better. They're going to have to. He's not going to go nine for 24 right. again, even though they played great defense on him. I mean, Grant Williams yep. was excellent early on being physical. And then when he got into foul trouble, Tatum took over. And I saw some numbers on, you know, kind of how well Tatum played defensively. The guys he was guarding just weren't scoring. And when they were scoring, it was really low percentage. So I I think the Celtics will live with the kind of one-on-one-ish coverage that they have on Durant. What they're wary about and, and have been all week is who's that third guy. Like if if Kyrie goes for 30 and Durant goes for 40, fine, we'll live with 70. We don't want 
Bruce Brown doing what he did in the play-in game where mm-hmm. he had 18 points. And even, look, the first half, what did Goran Dragic have in the first half? Like 11 points? Yep. Like that was that was certainly nerve-wracking to the coaching staff there. It's like we can't allow Goran to come off the bench and be that kind of player. So look, they'll if Durant gets 30 points and needs 30 shots to get it, they're going to call it a win. If Kyrie you know, needs as many shots as points, they'll take that. It's just they're wondering if, if Seth's going to go off with those three-point shots or if Dragic or Brown or anybody else, even Claxton, you know, getting uh, points in the paint. So it's more those guys than it is uh, Durant and Kyrie that, that worry the Celtics. I think we can all agree Kessler Edwards is not going to do anything. No, no, that that is that is correct. About as much as Sam Hauser will do that. He is Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated NBA insider. Chris, uh, thanks so much for joining Take Line. Say hi to Neil Long. Uh, enjoy the rest of the series. It's going to be a fun one. Please do. Yeah, Please. It's going to be fun. You got it, fellas. What a fun series. A season of turmoil, of chaos for the Utah Jazz. But all of a sudden, in the playoffs, it's calm sailing. Luka Doncic, he's in great spirits, but he's not on the court. And so the Jazz, with a, with a sloppy performance that never, necess- that never necessitated them getting out of like second or third gear, just easily dispatched with the... Luka Doncic-less Mavericks in game one, and that means it's time to welcome our friend, beat reporter for the Salt Lake Tribune, Andy Larson, the great Andy Larson, the historic Andy Larson. Andy, how are you? How are things in Jazzland where I can only assume that things are more tranquil than they have been all season? Yeah, you know, we talked to Boyan Bogdanovich today and asked him, you know, like how the trust is within his teammates. And he started talking about the egos of everyone in the group. So that's, you know, a really good sign <laughs> that everyone after game one is feeling really great and uh, everything is is awesome. Oh, you got to love it. <laughs> I love that. What did he say? What did he say about the egos? I can't. This is... Let me uh, let me pull up the, the exact quote. So. There- he was Go ahead. he was asked if the game four win proved that they they have developed more trust in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And he says, it's about both trust and ego. We've got to put our ego to the side and trust each other, especially in these moments in the playoffs. We're here because we're a good team. We have quality. We really have a great group of guys who aren't looking for individual stats, especially like Rudy Gobert having just one <laughs> shot yesterday and being the best player on the floor. It's amazing. I don't know any other player who can do that. Well, it's inspirational stuff. It's beautiful. I have chills right now. <laughs> Boyan has to be my favorite Croatian of all time. <laughs> Just for the record. My favorite uh, Boyan thing is that the Jazz accidentally upload a YouTube video uh, calling him the cre- the creation Boyan Bogdanovich. Now so a group oh of fans have just been calling him the the creation. And it's like the best nickname going for, for him besides, I guess, Bogey. But that's boring. You know? <laughs> The cut creator himself. The creation, the Croatian creation. And honorable mention to cool coach, but it's but it's Boyan's time now. Uh yes. <laughs> here's a question for you, sir. Yeah. Why can't Nikhil Walker Alexander get on the floor for this team? If everyone I mean, hates on- each other, why not just put <laughs> the guy well, who doesn't is, know anyone? Everyone is strong. Uh, he does work super hard, but like the big thing was like in New Orleans, he had the worst true shooting percentage in the league. I that's mm. that's actually a true stat. So, uh, <laughs> I, and I do think that you know Quinn cares about efficiency and not having Nikhil uh, miss some shots. So like I I like Nikhil a lot, especially in the draft. Um, but like yeah, he can't take that many bad shots and and kind of be in a good team rotation. I guess you know. Hopefully, you know, he should, you know, theoretically play over guys like Juancho Hernan Gomez and Daniel House and, you know, but well, now, even hold on. Trent Forrest. I but. got it. Daniel House deserves a lot of minutes for um that little stun he pulled in the bubble for all the all the slutty boys, <laughs> all the slutty boys back in the city. We appreciated that. I, I agree. I, I love Daniel House. Uh, <laughs> he has added a lot of character to this team. I'll tell you that much. Um, And he's not afraid to shoot the ball either. Andy. Do you feel it's been, as we said up top, a lot of questions about the Jazz, 
lot of criticism from many corners. Um, it's almost gone too far, like to the point where we just kind of discount the Jazz are a solid team. Like, how much do you think that kind of the criticism about uh, can can uh, Mitchell and Gobert like how long can the friction between them go? Uh, is this team fatally flawed? Uh, how how much of that criticism is warranted, and has it? Have we have we has it gone to the level of we just have forgotten that this is a very, very, very good team with a player in Gobert who alone is able to elevate a team into, you know, the elite levels of of NBA defense? Yeah, you know, I, I think to some degree, probably, you know, I, I think essentially like the Jazz definitely you're right, like have a good team and a lot of good players, Donovan Mitchell, Boyan, you know, Rudy Gobert, Boyan Bogdanovich, Mike Conley, you know, yeah. I think you even look at the depth, it's it's pretty reasonable. Um, and then I, I think the biggest issue is a, you know, they're they're kind of pro- pretty clearly like a step below the league's elite, yeah. both last year and this year, you know, like, you know, I as much as they were good in the regular season last year, they were not that kind of caliber of playoff team. And then, you know, I, I think you kind of look forward and realize that, you know, they've got a really aging supporting cast, right? Yeah. Like Mike Conley, Bogdanovich, uh, Rudy Gay, all these guys, you know, they traded away Joe Ingles. All these guys were in their 30s, mid-30s. And so it's like, how do you build a real contender around Donovan and Rudy, you know, kind of fringe all-NBA pl- stars and – um, definite all-stars, but yeah, kind of fringe all NBA guys. Um, you know, realistically, you probably need really talented role players around those guys. And the Jazz have just kind of run out of assets yeah. to get those guys in order to uh, put guys around them. You know, they won't have free agency cap space for the foreseeable future. Utah's not going to be a free agency destination anyway. And then, like, they've traded all their draft picks until, you know, they can't trade their next one until 2026. So it, it's like, it's just kind of the the math becomes difficult too, and you know I think they could be a really good team, and and, and hey, you know there's kind of a a Portland route for them to making a Western Conference Finals and and really kind of contending, but it's it's just tough because you know we haven't seen maybe Donovan and Rudy kind of take that leap right. that like a John Morant did, right? So anyway, I think there's kind of a lot of stuff going on that maybe even overrides the personality conflicts and the drama that that we hear so much about. Uh, so you think, you think they're going to stay together? Like someone's got to go. And I think Donovan's the face of the team. You think they're going to stay together? I, I think, so they're like three big, the three big faces of the team is Donovan, Rudy, and Quinn, right? Yeah. Quinn Snyder. And I, I don't think all three of them go. And I think the big question is, is it one, two, or three change this off season? You know, right. um, you know, there's so much conversation about Quinn Snyder's contract and, uh, whether or not he wants to remain in, in Utah or whether or not he wants to go elsewhere. Um, when I talked to him about it on the record a, a couple of weeks ago, he didn't really deny those rumors. He said yeah. it was inappropriate to talk about other coaching positions, but he didn't actually deny that, right? Mm. Um, so I, I thought that that was a little bit interesting. Um, you know, and then I do think that there's, you know, the, the Donovan, Donovan and Rudy are certainly not best friends, as Quinn said in that 19-minute rant. Uh, they occasionally sit at the same table sometimes. I, I love uh, that. I love that so much. They they, they sit together uh, at lunch sometimes. Okay. When there's no other <laughs> seat. Yeah, so it's great. So, great. Uh, <laughs> so you know, I, I, I think I, I truly don't know if, if, if it's one, two or three of those guys. Like the, what's tough is that if you trade Donovan or Rudy, you're probably getting worse. Right. right. Like um, you're, uh, I think like, theoretically like a Donovan for Damian Lillard kind of thing could be fun if you want to go crazy with it, but that's probably not make, doesn't make sense. You're, you're trading Donovan to the Knicks for a package of picks and young players or whatever it is, right. Or you're trading Rudy Gobert to the Hawks or the Mavs or whatever for a package of, you know, good role players and and youth. Um, But it's not, it doesn't make you better. And and so uh, it's hard to figure out like, how do you kind of, recalibrate or return the jazz to being a real championship contender in the next like five years. If you trade either one of those guys, it is, it does just kind of make sense to rebuild a little bit. But that being said, the jazz have the all-star game next year. Owner Ryan Smith cares so much about making Utah look like a cool place and kind of throwing, hosting a good party there, quite frankly, um, that I think he'll want to have a good team next year to some degree. So there's like just a lot of factors going on in this decision of, how many of, you know, again, one, two, or three of those guys that you move on from? Um, with new ownership, you always look at the coach and, and think, you know, 
the people who are running the team always want their people there. On the other hand, Quinn Snyder is an elite coach. Like, Quinn Snyder is very, very good. Um, there have been rumors linking him uh, to the Lakers, as there have been for Nick Nurse. Uh, one, how... how I, I don't know if relieved is the right, is the right word, but there must have been like a, a level of Schadenfreude, right? When, when, uh, when the Lakers just like bungled the Frank Vogel firing in such public like fashion. Uh, and could you take us through some of the frictions with Quinn? Because I think maybe from the outside in, for people who aren't like paying attention to the Jazz on a daily, right? They must they might think, well, hold on, Quinn Snyder's a great coach. Why why would he go? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I honestly don't think that that would be Quinn Snyder. I don't think it would be the Jazz firing Quinn right. Snyder. I think it would be Quinn Snyder moving on the right. other direction. Um, and, you know, by the, the Mark Stein report says that uh, they've tried to offer him an extension to continue yeah. and he hasn't agreed to it yet, right? Um, so I think that's kind of where that's coming from. And, and what Quinn cares about, I think, is I, I think you kind of look at his assistant coaching history for one and he's like, he went to five different uh, assistant coaching. He had five different assistant coaching jobs in six years just because he was kind of trying to move around and learn as much as he could from some of the brilliant minds of the game. Like what Quinn loves is like the X's and O's intellectual, like chess move curiosity yeah. of basketball more than anything else. Um, this team isn't like really about that. Like right. he's solved the puzzle a little bit. He made the number one offense in the league and it hasn't been enough, right? Like what, what is the biggest problem now is that like his stars don't get along and it's, it's a lot of kind of infighting and that kind of stuff. And, and then I think he's also kind of lost some organizational control here when Brian Smith hired Danny Ainge to be the CEO and even the alternate governor in the board of, Go in the board of governors meetings. So um, you know, all of a sudden he feels a little bit uneasy of like what the, the franchise is going to look like moving forward, who's making the, who's calling the shots. And, you know, I think he's kind of open to other possibilities out there as like, Hey, you know, what, what makes more sense for me and my career moving forward? When you talk to Quinn, was he wearing that Jodeci vest? <laughs> What's up with the vest? He's wearing, yeah, he's wearing those vests all the time. And he only started doing it this year. So I truly have no idea. Is it weights um, in there? Is it inflatable? <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I, I think it's like one of those puffy jackets, but only vest form. Yes. But I, uh, I, I don't know why he wears it so much. I, I tweeted, and I believe Quinn has like, and I believe go. this. No, yeah, it, it, he looks like he just came out of a bank vault, you know, with yeah. and he's carrying like duffel bags full of diamonds and, and Deutschmarks, <laughs> Deutschmarks, and he's about to escape like through an air vent and then uh, and then uh, hijack a subway train and escape. He looks like uh, Leon S. Kennedy in Resident Evil Four. <laughs> <laughs> what were you gonna say, Andy? Uh, Quinn's got some of the craziest style in the league. Like, I, I, I guess I'll say I don't hate it. Like, uh, I like he's wearing Vans every game on the sidelines. Uh, he's mm. worn some like jazz kind of orange, the the red, orange, yellow Vans kind of colors. All right. Uh, He's got like a, a inordinate number of wristbands or like bracelets on at any given time. Uh, like one time we asked him like, Quinn, why are you wearing eight wristbands? And he like clammed up, like all of them mean something to him in some way, but we don't know what, like yeah. he's a very, very private person. Yeah. Um, which by the way is like one of the reasons why I don't think like the Lakers makes a ton of sense for him because he'd be coaching the leakiest organization and like <laughs> uh, obviously the, the highest profile coaching job there is. But anyway, uh, Quinn is Quinn is remarkable. Like I actually like respect the hell out of him. I love the guy, but he's he's uh, certainly a unique human being. Um, back to the game for a second. No Luka Doncic, no Tim Hardaway Jr. It's you know your your the Mavericks' uh, creativity is going to come down to Spencer Dinwiddie, and that's not going to be enough. What level of concern do the Jazz have about this series? Um. It, you know, assuming that it, Luca doesn't play for most of it, certainly I, I would expect that the Mavs absolutely have to get game two. Like they have to have it for this to be any kind of series. It, you would think, and yet, like uh, you know, I think if Luca does come back and if he is playing, if he is able to be healthy, then you know, obviously, so much of it changes, uh, it, and he can really kind of attack the parts of the Jazz's defense that are really weak, but. Um, you know, I, I think uh, they're at this point not that concerned. You know, I, I think they feel like they can defend the Mavs as they did in game one. Uh, 
uh, in in future games without Luca. You know, in in the end, that Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson right. are not that much of a threat. Um, and then you kind of look at the Mavs bench, quite frankly, and it's just non-existent, right? So you've got Maxi Kleba, who was a good shooter at the beginning of the year, has shot 18% from three since the All-Star break. You've got Josh Green, second-year player, also can't shoot. And then you've got Davis Bertans, right, who is... Lafayette Laser, baby. Who is a right. bum. Let me take this for you. <laughs> a bum! A rec so, like, league All-Star! And that was their eight-man rotation on, in game one. Now, I don't know if you played Trey Burke or, like, right. Boban or what, Sterling Brown, but, like, they just don't have a lot of answers. And so, anyway, it's – it's uh, I, I think you just look at the depth and the talent the Jazz have without Luka on the floor, and they, you know, the Mavs you know, don't have a lot of – You teams. know what my favorite little bit from uh, the run-up to the playoffs was when, uh, you know, Luka had the calf strain and it was unclear what was going to happen, and every Mavs comment was, oh, well, he's in great spirits. Okay, but how is <laughs> how is the how is the calf? But he's in wonderful spirits, though. Don't worry about that. And he'll play. We think he'll play. In, in incredible, his spirits were so high, and Mavs fans were like on this on this like conspiracy uh, theory level where they were like, "Well, no, no, listen. Why would they let the Jazz know?" that Luca is healthy as if the jazz were just, Oh, well, Luca's not going to play guys. We're not going to game plan for him. Let's save time here. And let's just not prepare for Luca at all. As if they would just be like, Oh, well, if Luca showed up, they'd just be like, Oh my God, what, what are we going to do? Uh, that's been one of my favorite. And that, that's not really a thing that you need to answer, but that was just one of my little favorite uh, things that was happening around the league in the last uh, couple of weeks. Well, and as like a beat writer, you're trying to figure out like, yeah, is this guy going to play? And so you read quotes from like Spencer Dinwiddie being like, I'm very optimistic he's going to play in game one. <laughs> it's like, why did you say that? He didn't even practice. You weren't in the same room. You know, anyway, but uh, <laughs> and then, you know, clearly it, he's not close, right? No, like, yeah, yeah, not we, close. You watch the videos that he's, you know, he's he's not running. So, Tim McMahon anyway. showed, a, showed a video of him from the training facility where like, and he's on a exercise bike going about as slow as you can possibly go on an exercise bike. Right. Like, it's like not going to happen, folks. I don't know. As long as the Jordans keep coming out, <laughs> I'm fine. Um, do you, sorry, Jamal. You, um, I guess it, it's not necessarily safe to. Well, actually, let me ask this because I've been dying to ask. So Rudy dominated this game like without scoring. Um, and I think it, much like the criticism of the jazz, do you feel like the crit, like it, I've never seen as disrespected a legitimately elite player ever as mm. Rudy Gobert. I think like Rudy is clearly a great player an unbelievable defender he's like a, a defense in a box like you just unpack him and you have rim protection you have everything you need for like a top 10 defense in the league um and yet nobody seems to fuck with him like at all like on like yeah. you know his his co-star doesn't like him uh players around the league are often making not necessarily snide, but indirectly critical comments of Gobert. What is the deal with him? It's the last pick in every all-star draft. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I, I don't really know. I, it, the funny thing is like everyone who works at the jazz loves him. Like yeah. he's the guy that like when the pandemic happened, he paid arena workers to, you know, that make sure that they could feed their families for the next month, you know, like, um, and then like, again, yeah, you talk to their, his teammates, their teammates. And he's like, uh, Rudy Gay, for example, was like, you know, Rudy Gobert must be important. He's making 40 million a year. It's like, Oh, <laughs> okay, geez, guys, like why are you throwing these shots? Um, anyway, I, I, I truly don't know. I think some of it is like the European thing. I think some of it is like, he doesn't play the, the game of, um, you know, I, he is very like honest in press conferences, which means that honestly he t ends up taking shots at his teammates a, a fair a bit after, you know, after games. Um, I think some of it is that like he is a super duper awkward player, right? Like yeah. I, I, terrific defensively. Um, is he like elite? He's I think he's an elite athlete, but like just very 
awkward, right? Yeah. About how he goes about his business. And then like, there's the fact that NBA players worship at the church of points. Yeah. Like that is, that is what is cool to NBA players is points. And Rudy's not a skilled offensive player, you know, like kind of all the work that they put in and jump shots and, uh, you know, create, layup finishing and everything else. That's not Rudy's game. You know, Rudy's figured out this very unique way of impacting the game and things that they never practice, right? Lobs, screens, you know, killing it at pick and roll defense. Yeah. And, you know, that's, it's, it's not that sexy, I think in the end. And I think kind of the, the respect level goes down as a result. I blame George Bush. <laughs> yeah, man. Once they started calling them freedom fries, look, this goes back. This goes way back. Did Tony Parker get this kind of hate? A little bit. That's, Steven Jackson yeah, he hates Tony Parker. He, he did get, he did it. get yeah, it a little bit. He did get it a little bit. What can I ask? What happened when Rudy ja- Rudy Gay? That was man. The way that signing was talked about, like, oh, this is this is we're gonna unlock it right here. This is his skill set. What he can do. This is exactly what the Jazz need. And then it just never arrived. Never appeared in any kind of form. What happened? I, I think a expectations were too high, right? Like. If you talk to San Antonio people, Rudy Gay was not like an amazing player last year. And then, you know, yeah, he got old and had foot surgery in the offseason. So I think there is some injury comeback there. I think he is moving less well than last year. Um, and, and then, like, uh, I think given that he doesn't fit a lot of what the Jazz want from that spot, which is um, kind of keeping the ball moving, you know, allowing uh, kind of the rest of the offense to work. Rudy Gay is kind of a ball in hand guy. And so like, he's been felt kind of awkward all year long of like, Hey, I can't get to my kind of spots on the floor in terms of, uh, you know, he's used to the mid range jumper. He can knock down threes. Sure. But it's not like his preferred game. Um, and then he's kind of a defensive liability with the way that he's moving at age 35. And and it's just like, you know, Juancho Hernan Gomez might legitimately be a better fit. And that's why we saw him in game one. So I agreed. Like, I, I think it's at the point where he's now an overpay and the jazz might have to like use a pick to get rid of the contract. Um, he's getting DNP CDs in the playoffs and, and it has been just like a, a, a big, yeah. Overcommitment and a, and a little bit of a underperformance, I think for sure. Uh, finally, Andy, I'm going to ask you two things. One, your predictions for who is in the finals. And then two, let's say me and Jamel are in, we drive into Salt Lake. It's a beautiful day and, you know, beautiful Saturday morning. We want to get some brunch. What are the spots? Where do we find Andy Mm. Larson tucking into a delicious brunch on a wonderful Salt Lake city weekend morning? Let's start with the first question. Uh, Who's in the finals? I'm calling a Suns Bucks rematch. I think so. Um, I, I, I love there were times I and I know that game ended up being close between the the Bulls and the Bucks, but there are times where I watch Giannis and I'm like, how does this guy not win every NBA yeah. finals for the next eight years? Right? Like the even just in the first quarter, like has that incredible Euro step or and you know, and then hits a three on the next possession or throws it to himself off the backboard for dunks, just like stuff we don't see. And then the Suns are obviously And that awesome. was and that um, was also like classic game one Bucks. Worst yeah. game of the worst game of the playoffs. Like that's what that's gonna be. Miss every three. Yeah. yeah just yeah. Um so I'm I'm betting on those two teams. As for brunch, uh my spot in Salt Lake City is is called Hopkins. It's Hopkins Brewing. I have a sweatshirt of theirs. I'm sure oh, okay. I wasn't even oh, sure yeah. you could drink beers out there. That's what's up. All right. Listen, we have, and I'll have you know this you beers? the sixth ranked craft brewery scene oh, in America. Okay. <laughs> Six. All right, Baltimore. Sure, there are five better eat than your us, heart but out. we're six. Yeah, let's go. Now, last time I was in Salt Lake, it was, and it's been a minute, but the last time I was there and we went out to drinks, there was like this mm. interesting system where uh, you would pay to get into the place, or sometimes you wouldn't, but they'd give you a ticket, and the ticket was like membership to... When was the last time you were in Salt Lake? It was like <laughs> 10 years ago. It was like membership to the... To yeah. the bar as a cl- as, like, and so you were a member of this like club for the night, and that got you around some sort of zoning that allowed you to drink. That's the yeah, that so that was absolutely a thing. Um, now I'm looking it up. Like, I, I think that ended in like seriously 2000, yeah, 2009. That ended. <laughs> 
So you haven't been in Utah at least 13 I'm years. I'm coming back, baby. And yeah, now we have normal bars. Uh, uh, like the weirdest bar rule at this point is like you can't get doubles. Ooh, uh, oh. And the the on draft beer, for whatever reason, has to be 5% or below. You can get anything in a can and it can be whatever. But if it's on draft, it has to be 5%. Oh, because drafts are too delicious. That makes sense. That's yep. Yep. That, I mean, that's where they get the kids, right? Yeah. yeah. You see the draft and you're like, <laughs> kids don't know shit about draft beers. They don't know. They don't know about it. He is Andy Larson. You can find him at the Salt Lake Tribune and at Hopkins Brewery on weekends, tucking into that brunch for the top 10 rated craft beer scene in America, Salt Lake City, Utah. Sixth. Hey, that's top 10. That's it for me and Jamel. That's it for us. That's it for Take Line. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday during the NBA season. Check it out, folks. Goodbye. Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Ryan Wallerson and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Engineering, editing, and sound design by the great Sarah de Alaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Mia Kelman is on the Zoom for Vibes, and the vibes are fantastic all the time. <laughs>